continue our study on the kingdom of God, and we're ultimately going to be coming out of the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. So if you want to go there, um, if you're using an app, I'm using the NIV. Uh, if you have your own hard copy, uh, then you got what you want, what you carry, except for the NIV will also be up here behind me. And this morning, for just a few minutes, I am going to do my dead level best to speak to you uh, on the subject that I have entitled The Keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. Now, let's get started. In the last two verses of Matthew's gospel, the very last two verses of Matthew's gospel, believers are told by Jesus that, and I quote, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus talking. How many here in this house, by a show of hands, have all of a given thing? There is no more of whatever it is for anyone else to possess. You have all of this given thing. Nobody. Oh, Glenn does. Okay, believe it or not, you actually do possess all of some things. Uh, but that's really neither here nor there in that we're talking about Jesus' statement concerning authority. How would you like to have, how would you like to possess with no remnant left over whatsoever? How would you like to possess all authority? Everyone and everything, no matter what they may be over or involved in, is irrelevant. They all answer to Jesus. Why? Because there is no authority left over for anyone else to have that he doesn't already possess. All authority in heaven, which is no boundaries, and on the third rock from the sun. Earth has been given to him. Well, who had the authority to give that? The one who created all of the heavens. And the third rock from the sun. Passed it down. And now Jesus states, all of the authority that we're referring to is mine. Doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how far you reach or how far you travel. My authority reaches there and my authority is absolute. Because remember, as I say, almost on a bi-weekly, at least monthly basis... If he didn't create it, it wasn't created. So his domain is all. That authority that Jesus is talking about, we've been talking about it as well. It's called God's absolute rule. 
also known as the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to say in the very next verse, I love this, the very next verse, after he gets done saying, all authority is mine, he goes into the next verse and he says this one word and he leads with it. Therefore, therefore, because of that, that particular therefore is exceedingly important because what Jesus is saying when he says, therefore, preceded by all authority is mine, what he's actually saying in verse 19 there is that because he possesses all authority, because he is absolute ruler, because he reigns over the entirety of the kingdom of God, because he is autobasilia, because he is self-kingdom, because he himself is the kingdom itself. We now operate in the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God can now be revealed in our lives as it was in his. Therefore, the Great Commission, which is where we've been talking about this, all authority and therefore, that's extracted from the last two verses of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. That is the Great Commission. And because of the Great Commission, because of that, the Great Commission, therefore, is our license to operate within the kingdom of God. It's heaven's approval. It's heaven's marching orders for us, all rolled up into one, to show off to display, to reveal God's absolute rule as displayed in the life of Jesus Christ, now displayed in yours and in mine. However, before Jesus ever spoke the words of the Great Commission, he was in a conversation with his disciples back several chapters in Matthew chapter 16 where he asked them a couple of rather interesting questions. Let's go there now. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to begin in verse 13 and we're going to read all the way through verse 20. Now everyone here knows these verses. So this is nothing new. But when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, And I almost get a picture. You see, whenever I get involved in a passage or a text like this, I kind of see it from the human perspective. And I don't know if this is how it worked. I have absolutely no idea. I just know that my wiring sees it in a particular way. And when I read things and there are no pictures or video attachments, I see things. And I see them sitting around, maybe around a fire, when Jesus shoots this initial question out. 
Who do people say that I am? And I see disciples sitting around with their elbows and forearms on their knees poking a fire with a stick and saying, well, some say John the Baptist. And they're just sitting around, you know, doing... You know how it is. And then... When they make that answer and Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? How many of you ever saw the old, I believe it's 70s television sitcom entitled Welcome Back, Cotter? Okay. It's just me. I know this. None of you, I I would put money on it, and I don't have any money. I would put money on the fact that not a single one of you have ever seen Peter as Arnold Horshack. But when Jesus shifts the attention away from what the people say to, but what about you guys? You're my crew. You're my posse. Who do you say? And I just see it. I'm sorry. Oh, 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 oh. And Jesus sitting there says, yes, Peter. That's how I see it playing out. Because you know Peter, he's the one bailing out of the boat. He's the one opening his mouth. Let's build tabernacles. He's the one. The wonderful thing about this particular response is this is a response acknowledging the deity of Jesus, and it's the pronunciation of Peter's faith. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then here's Jesus. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then verse 20, this one kind of sticks out. It just kind of, it's one of those verses that do but don't fit. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. There are many, many theological points of interest in these verses, especially when you get into verse 17 and following. But for our purposes this morning, um, and in keeping with our study concerning the uh, kingdom of God, we're going to focus pretty much only on what Jesus said in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this reply by Jesus in response to Peter's statement, um, Peter's statement here concerning who he is, who Jesus is, like I said, that's 
That's a profession of faith. That's not some educated academic statement. That is a profession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is more than merely identifying Jesus correctly. Have you ever heard the old statement that preachers make from pulpits? There's a lot of people who know a lot about God, but they don't know God himself. Right. Yeah. Well, this isn't the enti- this isn't the I know about you, Jesus, and because of what you do and because what I've read in in the uh, Old Testament, the book of Moses, and because of what you've said about yourself, you're the Christ. That's not what this is. This is Jesus's acknowledgement of the revelation of God to him specifically that Jesus Christ is the son of God and G- and Peter subsequently professes his faith and the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Those are two different animals. But Peter is doing more than just identifying Jesus. This is Peter's profession of faith. It's a statement of belief and a revelation given to him by the Father. It's this profession that places Peter in a position to receive the thing that Jesus refers to as the keys of the kingdom. Notice what he says. And I tell you, you're Peter... And on this rock, I'll build my church. Hate, gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of, of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What are the keys to the kingdom? There's the $64,000 question this morning. What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? That's a good question. How many of you have ever asked that question when reading this passage? Okay. Have you ever asked that, even if it's just to yourself? You're reading the scriptures, you're moving through the book, you read that passage, you're thinking, what is that? What is that? Even if it's just to yourself, you've maybe never asked. Or maybe, if you're like me, you've asked the question, whatever these keys are, um, they have something to do with loosing and binding. And how in the world, if you don't know what they are, and they have to do with loosing and binding, how would you know what to loose, and how would you know what to bind? How would you know? Isn't there a danger of loosing something or maybe binding something that God might not want loosed or God might not want bound or worse yet, missing something altogether that actually needs loosing or needs binding? Does anybody think that way or is it just me? Okay, wow. I feel so much better now. Two, concerning this whole loosing and binding thing, I've seen a lot of people over the years, raise your hand if you can relate, who have attempted to loose things or who have attempted to bind things that were categorically not loosed or not bound. What's that all about? Is it possible... 
that in our attempts to be Pentecostal, is it possible in our attempts to believe what Acts 1 and 8 says? Or at least the first part of it. Is it possible in our attempts to be spirit-filled and charismatic, we go about our Christianity at times with an ignorant eye toward doing what we don't know how to do? Is it possible? If you ask me, that's possible. If we're going to answer the question of what are the keys of the kingdom and what does it mean to bind and loose, then we have to reconcile ourselves to a couple of facts. Number one, the one has to do with the other. The one has to do with the other. The keys to the kingdom of heaven and binding and loosing have absolute correlation. The one has to do with the other. And the second fact we're just simply going to have to reconcile is that you and I already know what binding and loosing involves, whether we know that we know or not. We're just going to have to get used to that. We already know what binding and loosing deals with, even if we don't know that we know that. First, let's look at keys for just a couple of minutes before we move on. Keys represent authority. Keys represent authority. For example, the only people who have the authority to enter my home are those individuals who possess keys. If you don't have keys, you don't have the authority to enter my home. If I haven't given someone the keys to my house, then they don't have the authority to come in, to come and go in and out of my house. How many of you want me coming and going in and out of your house? Okay. I want you to know how good that makes me feel. I hate keys, and I have more of them than I should. I have keys on my key rings that I don't even know what they go to. And I promise you, I don't want yours. But guess what? How many of you know I love you? I ain't giving you my keys. You ain't getting keys to my house. Same thing as with your house. You only give keys to those people you want able to come and go. This idea of keys representing authority is illustrated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22 mentions the key to the house of David, referring to the authority of the steward who manages the king's household. Also, in addition to that, Revelation, the third chapter in the seventh verse, refers to Jesus having the key of David. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 says that he has the keys of death 
and Hades. In Luke 11 and 52, Jesus claims that the experts of the law, the Jewish law, quote, have taken away the key of knowledge, end quote. Meaning that through their hypocrisy, they had not only failed to enter the kingdom of God themselves, but had prevented others from entering into the kingdom of God as well. It is the same in the kingdom of God. If a person doesn't have keys to enter into the kingdom of God, they don't have the authority to operate within the kingdom of God. Bottom line, if you have keys to the kingdom of God, you have the authority to operate within its boundaries. And since the kingdom of God is God's absolute rule displayed in the life of Jesus Christ and now our lives, there are no boundaries to the kingdom of God. Now we think there is, but we mistake boundaries in the kingdom for our own lack of faith. We call our lack of faith, and should I go push this further, our lack of understanding, some boundary that God has established. When in reality, if God can part Red Seas and then zip them back up like a pair of jeans, if God can take a similar sea and just walk on it, in the middle of a storm. If God, before the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His subsequent ascension, can walk up to a tomb and call a man out alive by name. If God, in the flesh, can without even knowing it, be touched by a woman who has been sick for years stacked upon years, and she be made whole, and we could continue down this road of examples for a long time, do you honestly think that our inability is God's boundary line? Am I in the right church? Rob's there in Tula. And they're in their usual spot. It's got to be the right church. Am I, am I hurting your feelings? Or are you catatonic? Or what's going on this morning? Okay, I heard one preacher who's an awful lot better preacher than I am say, I'm preaching better than you're amening. You're absorbing. Feel free to absorb. Absorb away. Let's read Matthew 16, 15 through 19 again. We're going to come... Off the top, we're going to go 15. But what about you, he asked. 
Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. I'm going to stop right there just for a second. Who here remembers your time of conversion? Okay. How many of you realize or, or recognize the fact that, and I don't know your circumstances, so I'm going to throw a blanket circumstance out there and you are hearing someone speak concerning Jesus Christ and somehow or another something happened inside of you that recognized that whatever it was that's being said, that's truth. And it applies to me. And it wasn't that they were saying it, it was that what they were saying was hitting you in the spirit. And you, you accepted it, you received it and said, I have to get saved. Because that's who that is. That Jesus is not only the Son of God. Correction. That Jesus is not only the only begotten Son of God. That Jesus is my sole and exclusive way to gain access to the Father to heaven and get forgiveness of sins. Well, isn't that what Jesus was saying? For this was not revealed to you by man. Now God uses men and women to speak his word. But we know we've been successful when these words that are so inadequate to describe the God of all creation, actually radically affect, change a person's life, and alter the trajectory of their eternity. That's when you know you've done something that God has chosen to use you, whether it be from a pulpit in a church or an aisle in a grocery store, something has just happened through you to permanently and eternally alter and affect the life of a human being to go into the presence of God in good standing. I'm sorry, that's something. That is something. 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, didn't we just say keys represent authority? So all of a sudden, Peter, in these circumstances, is suddenly given access to unlock the entire limitless, boundaryless power of God's kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, remember that statement, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That's not something weird and confusing and separate from the fact that he was just given the keys to the kingdom of God. Excuse me. It is not separate. Don't make it a separate issue and I don't care who's taught what, when in the past. They are intimately integrated. 
God's, the ability to unlock God's kingdom and binding and loosing are intrinsically melted together and are inseparable. Thank you. In this passage, through Peter's profession, he opened the door to the kingdom of God for himself. In reality, this passage, now I know we're reading about Jesus and Peter and the rest of the followers of Christ right there, but in reality, this passage actually has very little to do with Peter other than his profession of Jesus' status as Messiah. You see, there are denominations, entire denominations, that would make that a point of doctrine. But it's not the case. And we're not going there today. But that Peter and Jesus' interaction right here has actually little to do with Peter. Look at me. That could have had your name written in there. You, although you would look much older now, could have been sitting here in this conversation. Do you get me? Okay? This has nothing to do with Peter's authority over the church throughout the ages. and so Nothing. This has to do with Peter's authority in the kingdom of God. Your name could be plugged in there just as easily. Peter opened the door to the kingdom of God because of his profession of Jesus being the Messiah, which opened the door, the next door, to the principle of binding and loosing at the same time. You want to know how fast these doors get open? I'm going to show you. Did you catch what I just said? By Peter's profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah, the Savior. Jesus said, um, I give you the keys to the kingdom. You now have the ability to walk in and out of the kingdom at will. And you're going to be able to bind and loose anything on heaven and earth. That's how fast. You want to know how much faster it can be? Get a load of this. We all know this story. I always refer to this guy because this guy is so ultimately cool. Demoniac of Gadara. We all know him. He gets delivered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He, because of his love for Jesus, wants to go with Jesus. But here is a brand spanking new convert, formerly possessed by a legion of demons. And what does Jesus say? No, you need to go off and enroll in college. You need to become discipled in the ways of God, etc. All these things. But what's he do? No. He says, now you go and tell your family what has happened to you. So essentially, what Jesus just did was took a brand new convert who had been delivered and saved. He's in his right mind. He's wearing clothes. That's a novel idea. And Jesus says, no. Now you run along and you go tell your family. I preached this not terribly long ago. We all know this answer. 
He did not go and go tell his family. He went to the eastern portion of the, of the River Jordan into an area that starts up here at the Sea of Galilee and descends south and east down the River Jordan in a region commonly referred to as the Decapolis, known as the Ten Cities. And what's he do? He evangelizes the entire Ten Cities. Do you want to know how fast these keys work? You find Jesus real in your life. You now have authority to open the doors to the kingdom of God. That's how fast it is. But what we do, Linda, is we look at ourselves and say, well, we've got to do this, 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 and this before anyone can do anything. When in reality, Jesus said... All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority. Nothing's left. You go. So apparently, the misnomer that we've got going on is that we know how to get people ready for ministry better than Jesus does. Now, I understand. There's some goofy folk out there. Jesus had 12 disciples. And he had a great record because only one of them tanked. All of them were stupid at one point in time. Every last one of them was a bonehead at one point in time. Only one of them tanked. And the odds were stacked against him because someone had to tank. But we need to recognize the fact that the keys to the kingdom of God are placed in our hands at the point of conversion. And at the point of conversion, when we open the keys of the kingdom of God, we are set on a path known as the Great Commission. Okay. I have no idea where I am. Peter opened the door to the kingdom of God because of his profession of Jesus. Wow, am I late. Being the Messiah, which opened the door to the principle of binding and loosing at the same time. Remember this. Remember that the kingdom of God and the principle of binding and loosing have absolute correlation. One does have to do with the other. Each time that Peter or any other believer... Listen to me now. Put yourself into that equation. Each time that Peter or any other believer opens the door to the kingdom of God by professing Jesus Christ as Savior... To an unbeliever or unbelievers, the believer either looses, hear me, the believer who's speaking that Jesus is Lord, who's speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the believer either looses the hearer of the gospel message to become a child of God through their belief in Jesus and their acceptance of Him as Savior, or they bind that same hearer of the message as an unbeliever due to the unbeliever's rejection of Christ and their unbelief in the Gospel. Now, I know what you're thinking. Actually, I don't know what you're thinking. But I'm sure it's all over the map. As for the question that I posed earlier of how are we supposed to know what we're to bind and what we're to loose. 
we needn't concern ourselves with that question. Because the gospel message itself determines what is bound and what is loosed based solely on the belief or the rejection of the gospel by the hearer. Do you hear that? Does everybody get what I'm telling you? Because the gospel determines what is bound and what is loose. Any actions taken by a believer to proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior, effectively binding or loosing the hearers based on their belief in the gospel, the hearers' belief in the gospel, or the hearers' rejection of it, is a direct expression of heaven. So by proclaiming the gospel, hear me, by proclaiming the gospel, hearers, hearers of the gospel, by their acceptance or by their rejection of the message, are bound or loosed on earth as they are in heaven. Who's following? Now, We'll get a little ugly right here, okay? But I'm warning you that I'm getting ugly. If that all sounds way too simplistic for some of you, if that sounds not nearly sensational, complicated, confused, arbitrary, or random enough for 21st century Christianity, then just remember, just remember what the Great Commission actually commissions believers to do. What does the Great Commission actually commission us to do? It's two things, and that's all. Go and preach. That's it. So when we open the kingdom of God, by virtue of our belief in Jesus Christ, we have those keys to operate in and out of God's kingdom. And in operating in and out of God's kingdom, we actively are to be functioning, not as a sideline, but as a result of our access to God's kingdom, we're to be operating in the Great Commission. And as we operate in the Great Commission and we speak the Lordship of Jesus Christ to hearers, those hearers are bound by their unbelief or loosed by their belief. And all you did was speak the name of Jesus. Now, if that still isn't enough, I want you to look. Just remember, I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there. The book of Acts, the first chapter and the eighth verse. What does it say? But you will receive power. There's our Pentecostal verse. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that's shouting right there. But then, of course, there's always that problem, and you will be my witnesses. What did Jesus say to the disciples prior to his departure in the eighth verse of the first book of uh, the first chapter of the book of Acts? He says, "You're going to receive power from on high, from the other Comforter, from the Paraclete. He's going to empower you to do." And they're like, "All this really cool stuff to be my witnesses." What? That's what I get for being empowered by God to be a witness? 
That's kingdom simplicity at its best. Singular mission, ladies and gentlemen. All you do is you get to get saved. And when you get saved, you get ushered, opened up to the kingdom of God because the keys to that kingdom have been given unto you. And because of that, you, par- you become an active participant in what Jesus commissioned the church to do. That is, go and preach. And as you go and preach, you bind and loose as you go. It's just what it is. Because in heaven, remember, if you bind it on, in, on earth, it's bound in heaven. So on and so forth. You realize that that actually, let me see here. Where is it? Find it exactly where I'm looking for. Right here. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 16. I'll let you go here in a minute. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Do you realize that in the original that actually reads already has been? It has been. Will be is has been. God has already determined that the recipients of Jesus Christ as their Savior are loosed. And that those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ have been bound. As you preach God's word to people, you're merely in agreement with heaven. Okay, we're coming to a close. While the focus of our text is Peter's interaction with Jesus, this same authority is extended to the entire church. That's you and me. As seen in Matthew 18 and 18. Jesus uses the same, in 18, 18, Jesus uses the same binding and loosing language in the context of how the church should handle unrepentant sinners. When the church follows Jesus' teaching, they can be confident. Listen, be confident that our actions on binding and loosing are an extension of God's actions in heaven already. Okay. Now, so the keys of the kingdom are in reality God's gift to his people. To state heaven's verdict, not our verdict. We get really strange when it comes to deciding who does and who doesn't get into heaven. It's not our verdict. We preach, doesn't matter to who. We preach, he decides. Okay. I've got a little bit more, but I think I'm going to stop right now. The reality is, is that. What we've done this morning is not exhaustive. We have not exhausted this passage, but it's right for this morning because this is where the Spirit of God led me. With that said, brothers and sisters, I think that sometimes, sometimes, the church does a wonderful job of overcomplicating something that's very, very simplistic in the kingdom. And let's, let's, let's just be honest. I'm just going to take one more minute. Let's be honest. When the Lord speaks of things like binding and loosing, and we know about binding spirits and casting out, that has to do with the rest of the the, uh, Great Commission. But the primary thing about being involved in the Great Commission and the kingdom of God, having been unlocked because we have the keys, is that we're to go and we're to preach. Now, Acts 1 and 8 says he's going to give us power to be witnesses. Now, that witness doesn't just mean with your mouth. That witness also means that those things that he did, he he did, he says, and you will do greater. So with that said, 
we have not exhausted this passage and we have not exhausted this subject matter. Know that. But for our purposes this morning, the absolute rule of God as displayed in the life, and t- life of Jesus Christ and now in our lives, that is the kingdom of God. It has been opened unto us because we have the keys to come and go. And if we will participate, if we will get involved, if we aren't already, in God's commissioning of the church that we call the Great Commission and go and preach, then we will have the power of binding and loosing. If you don't speak God's Word, you rob yourself of the power to bind and loose. As you speak the Word of God... People who believe are loosed. People who reject are bound. But if you keep your mouth shut, you aren't exercising the power of the kingdom of Almighty God. And that's the reality of it this morning. Does everybody understand what I said? Great. Stand with me this morning.